We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Okay, good evening again, everybody. We're in Acts chapter 2 tonight, Acts 2, 1 through 13, for a second week in a row. I just wanted to touch on a couple of other doctrinal matters before we leave this section of Scripture um, in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Sorry about this. Uh, I always have to hit the do not disturb function, and I should have done that before. Last time, we mentioned the title of this message is The First Church, Born by the Spirit, and we're focusing on the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit here. I said last time that the doctrine of the Spirit has been somewhat limited in Scripture up to this point, but we're going to see a whole lot more of Him and of His work in the chapters to come throughout the book of Acts and then throughout the New Testament. Uh, We looked at the uh, day of Pentecost, Uh, didn't really say much about that, but just said that it was that day, 50 days after the uh, Passover and the Lord's resurrection, Um, and something happens here that is quite remarkable, and I'll just highlight it again, we read it, Uh, they were all together, all the the young uh, pre-church people, And there suddenly came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. The author Luke here is trying to describe what it was like. It wasn't exactly a wind, but it was like that. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, not fire, but like it. Again, trying to describe this divine phenomena, and one uh, sat upon each of them. You'll see similar uh, phenomena in passages like in... Uh, Ezekiel. If you read the opening chapters of Ezekiel, Ezekiel has this tremendous vision of what we learn as we read on is God himself and this um, remarkable transportation system, I'll call it, his throne and, and the wheel within the wheel and the, the angelic beings and all of that. It, 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 it defies words to try to describe God. We do the best we can doctrinally with regard to the Trinity and the uh, persons of the Godhead and so on, but uh, when it comes to that sort of thing, there's uh, analogy is, is, is one of the best ways we can uh, describe what's happening. So it says then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that's still a metaphor, but it's a little less, could I say, metaphorical than the fire and the wind if we could kind of appeal to levels of metaphor, so to speak. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This caused a great uproar. Uh, There were many people dwelling in Jerusalem because of the religious holiday, and uh, we listed off those folks uh, last time uh, in eight groupings. At least 15 languages were represented there, from Parthians and Medes down to Cretans and Arabs, those from Rome and Egypt and uh, Libya and all kinds of places in the known world, 
Jews uh, and, and certainly probably Gentiles as well there. Uh, and they were amazed because they were hearing these Galileans speaking in their own languages the wonderful works of God. And I almost wish that the uh, English translators would just dump the word tongue and use the word language. That would actually make it a lot uh, safer for people in English-speaking um, reading contexts to understand what's going on here. We, eat, we hear each of them speaking in our own languages the wonderful works of God. And uh, so they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others in the close of this passage said they are full of new wine and they were mocking the uh, believers there. We, we mentioned how unrealistic that argument was. Um, and then we spent some time uh, talking about the gift of tongues and I didn't spend a ton of time making an argument for the cessation of tongues, although we could go to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13 and verse number 8 where it says that tongues will cease along with knowledge and prophecy and uh, we locate the timing of that cessation with the completion of the New Testament scriptures. Others locate it with the coming of Christ against which I've argued that if tongues cease when he comes and then similar gifts arise immediately upon his coming, there's really no functional cessation of the gift. It just stops and then restarts again. Um, although we're not explicitly told tongues will restart, but uh, certainly prophecy and things. In fact, Peter is going to preach on this, uh, r- related to this in chapter 2, verse 16. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will <clears throat> pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. doesn't say anything about speaking other languages there. but um, So we made the application last time that uh, our tongues need to be speaking things that are like what these Jews were speaking. We hear them speaking in our own languages, content, the wonderful works of God. That is the content that they were speaking. And by the way, um, what do you think the purpose of this was? So their content was the wonderful works of God, uh, most certainly the gospel, the work of Christ, um, the works that God had done throughout history. Uh, they were recounting them as they were instructed in the book of the Psalms and elsewhere, weren't they? You know, tell, tell the next generation of the works of God and have them uh, tell them to their children and so on. So they were recounting these things. That's the content. What was the purpose of it? Well, the purpose of that seems obviously to me to spread the news of the new work of God and to evangelize and to kickstart the new young church. Make sense? We have this new thing starting and God wants to Uh, quickly launch it out into the world. And what a better place to do it than the place where there are 15 or more language groups represented of all people who are going to go back to their home countries and some of them bringing the Christian gospel with them and thus getting things started and launching the church age and launching local churches. Now, it also tells us of two other... um, ministries of the Spirit of God in this passage, one specifically or explicitly, and the other uh, not so much explicitly, but it's here. 
And uh, they are the filling of the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit. And let me te- treat each of those in turn, if you wouldn't mind, please. Um, the Spirit filling. Now, while we cannot speak in a foreign language in this way today, that is immediately gifted by the Spirit to speak without studying, without learning, we have to go about the hard work of learning the language. So we can't speak in tongues today or foreign languages. We don't have that Spirit-delivered gift. We can be filled by the Spirit. Now, to be filled by the Spirit means, in short, to be influenced by the Spirit of God so that our actions, or we could say our attitudes, but you get the idea, that our behavior is evidence of His presence. To be influenced by the Spirit of God so that our actions are evidence of His presence. Okay? I've, I've avoided using the word control. Spirit filling is not control because one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So we don't give up you know, and just become a puppet on strings that the Spirit of God is moving. He's using our intellect, our emotion, our will, our decider function, our volition to live in a way in which we work with him, he works in us to do his good pleasure. So I've avoided using spirit control, but rather influence, and it fits well with Ephesians 5.18, in which the Apostle Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, You young people remember that verse, don't you, Sam? Yes, and Enoch, I think, or Josiah, somebody said. They they, uh, they, uh, recited it as, uh, do not be drunk with wine, uh, something like, this is dissipation. The wording was a little bit off, but they were right. Um, Of course, to try to help them understand what dissipation is is going to be pretty tough at their tender age, but... um, being drunk with wine is like being under the influence of alcohol, under the severe influence of alcohol. And Paul says, don't be that, but rather be filled with or by the Holy Spirit. And so the likeness of being under the influence of alcohol, I use to say, well, being under the influence of the Spirit of God, uh, not control per se, but under the heavy influence of His Spirit. And after that, you remember in the passage of Ephesians 5, the text of Scripture tells us the uh, outflow of the life of a person who is influenced by the Spirit. It says, don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And then remember what it says? It gives five participial phrases, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another in the fear of God. Those are result participles that come from being filled by the Spirit, filled, influenced, controlled, if you will, but I don't, uh, by the Spirit of God. That is, when the Spirit of God is operative in the life of the believer, Evidence is singing, making melody, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, submitting to one another, 
giving thanks. Somebody who is not thankful is, in that measure, not exhibiting the fullness of the Spirit. Somebody who is not singing, who says, <laughs> singing. We actually went over this in our men's prayer uh, not too long ago, and one of the brothers there, was his eyes were opened, like, oh, that's why we sing, and that's why I shouldn't skip the singing part of any service. It's important because it's an expression of the fullness of the Spirit of God. The, the Bible tells us that. Um, so these things are important features of spiritual life, and it doesn't count that you say, well, I can't sing. Well, you can do something like singing. You can have a heart that's doing something like singing, <laughs> Whether if it's not much singing, that's okay, but you know, and you can also practice. If it's that important that you exhibit the fullness of God's Spirit that way, then you can, you know, get get on with it, as Brother James would say. <laughs> practice, practice and, and uh and sing or give thanks or pray or speak to one another and encourage one another, give thanks and, and submit to one another. So just by way of application, I'm not giving a whole huge theology of the filling of the Spirit here, um, but it, it, is, it does have to do with obedience to God's Word. It's not like you have to do a bunch of other things, like if I check three boxes, then I'll get filled with the Spirit. No, it's, it's evidencing the work of the Spirit in your life, whether you understand all the other commands of Scripture or you've, you know... You know, some people say, well, you've got to not quench the Spirit, not grieve the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Once you do those, then you'll be filled with the Spirit. You know why they say that? I think I've come to the conclusion because they don't know how to explain what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So they say if you just do those three things, then you'll come to understand or do automatically the filling part. No, I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to say it is a command that stands on its own to us. Be filled, be being kept filled by the Spirit of God. And we have to understand as being influenced by him. Look, you know when you're influenced by him or not influenced by him. Have you ever had a time when you have victory over sin? I mean, I mean the real thing in your life, not some minuscule thing, but something you've been struggling with, talking back, angry, arguing, you know, problem with your spouse, some temptation, and you say to yourself, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to respond this other better way. I'm going to do this instead. You know. The proper mode of Christian existence is to be filled with the Spirit. I called it a mode, okay, for lack of a better term, this manner of living, the proper manner of life. The believer evidences the characteristics of the Spirit's work. Where would you go in the Bible to give some characteristics of the Spirit's work? The fruit of the Spirit is Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and self-control. All those things are fruit of the Spirit, the result of the work of the Spirit of God. Against these things, there is no law. You don't write a law against any of those character traits. This is not an all-or-nothing proposition now. Again, sometimes people picture filling of the Spirit like you're either at zero or 100. You know, like you bounce between the two. No, it's a, there's maturity connected to it. It's a spectrum. It's, some people act as if they're more influenced by the Spirit than others. Others, not much at all. Uh, a more mature Christian will more consistently evidence 
this influence of God's Spirit in his or her life. An immature Christian can also evidence this work in his life or her life, but will naturally have more fits and starts and ups and downs and problems, difficulties, because they're not as mature in the faith. But too often, Christian experience is not filled with the Spirit. That is, not exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Exhibitions of selfishness, pride, strife, anger, jealousy, covetousness, lust, and the like demonstrate a pushing away of the Spirit of God, a refusal to hear His conviction, a, a, um, uh, a refusal to receive His instruction and His guidance in how we live. It's really allowing the self to be the influencer mainly and not the Spirit to be the influencer mainly. So think about that in your own life. And uh, we ought to be able to be very good in our own life, not just others, at recognizing when the Spirit of God is not um, on the ascendancy, can I say, when, he's, when he is being pushed out to the side. Now, to be truly under the influence of God's Spirit, the Christian must do several things or be like several ways. And these aren't the keys to achieving it. It's just part of, you know, how do you know what God wants you to do if, unless you know God's Word? You know, so as you grow in your knowledge of the Word of God, you're going to know what the Spirit of God wants you to do and the characteristics He wants you to evidence um, so that you're aware of the Spirit's work and the characteristics that He builds into our lives. You want to desire to walk with the Lord. You must strongly dislike your sin. You must be convinced that it's right in a way, this way to live to please God. With me? Yeah. These are, what I'm trying to do is not get at, you know, thou shalt and thou shalt not, but like interior attitudes. You hate sin. You love to please God. You desire to know the word of God. You're convicted, convinced that the only right way to live is that way which pleases God. And that will lead you along the path of being filled with God's Spirit. Now, in the situation in Acts chapter 2, the filling of the Spirit was seen in a snapshot of time. Notice in Acts chapter 2 where it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. So tongue-speaking doesn't happen today, but it did then. And so it was connected or associated with that filling of the Spirit. That influence of the Spirit was in such a way that they spoke in tongues, but tongue speaking is not a gift given today. So we see Spirit filling in other ways. Follow me. Tongues speaking, speaking in languages was one evidence of the Spirit of God then. One evidence of the Spirit of God today is speaking how? Not in tongues, but in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You still use your mouth to evidence the filling of the Spirit. You know, like the, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, no man can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So 
uh, yes, you still use your tongue to evidence the spirit filling in your life. Not in the way of speaking a foreign language, but, you know, we have enough trouble getting the English language correct. You know what I'm saying? With dear husband, dear wife, dear children, dear parents, fellow church members. We can't even get English. Let's not worry about other languages, okay? We get our language filled with the Spirit of God, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But the two activities of spirit filling and spirit uh, gifting of tongues were connected back here, but we have a little bit of a different thing going on today, obviously. Second item that we wanted to talk about tonight was not just spirit filling, but spirit baptism. So again, we can't speak in a tongue today, and not all believers are always filled with God's Spirit, but Christians are, as a matter of theological fact, baptized by the Spirit. As a matter of theological fact. You, you don't feel it. You don't see it. You don't get a special wristband, label, uh, you know, mar- mark on your forehead or on your hand or anything like that. You're is a theological fact. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says we were all baptized by the Spirit into one body. It's not something we seek or ask for. No place in the Scripture are we instructed to do that. It's, it's one of those things that comes upon a person when they place their trust in Christ. Now, if somebody's sharp here, they're going to say, wait a minute. I remember a portion of Scripture where the Lord said something about asking for the Spirit, and it's in Luke eleven thirteen. there, Pastor Matt. Don't you remember that one? Well, it turns out I did happen to remember that one. And it says this, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, this is Luke eleven thirteen. how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so people have camped on this verse and said, Look, you know, Dear Christian, you've got to ask for the Spirit. No, my friend, if you're a dear Christian, you have the Spirit. But this is a general statement, a general um, teaching to ask God for things we need. And what thing do you need more than the work of the Spirit of God in your life? You know, he's talking about asking for a fish or a bread, and no father's going to give a scorpion to his son. And so the heavenly father is way better than a human father. He's going to, you know, how, how much more he'll give to you the spirit if you ask. Uh, it's not specifically tied there with spirit baptism. It can refer to asking for the spirit in salvation, I think, or asking for the wisdom of the spirit or the fruit of the spirit of God. But Christians never need to ask for the spirit to be present in their life because he's always present in their life. However, You could legitimately pray and say, Lord, I want to be more influenced by the Spirit of God than I have been before. You think he's going to give you a scorpion instead of that? (laughs) No, he's not. Or if you're an unbeliever, say, God, I need your Spirit to cleanse me. I don't know how you would know how to pray that unless God is working in your heart. Thank the Lord. I'll take that. I'll, I'll love to hear that prayer from any, any, any soul that needs to know the Lord. And God is going to do that. You know, Lord, I want more fruit. I want more wisdom by your Spirit. 
He's delighted to answer that request. But he doesn't answer the request, Lord, I want to be baptized by the Spirit if I'm already a Christian because he's already done that. He doesn't answer and and do things that he's already done before. So since 1 Corinthians 12 says we all have been, then uh, we don't have to, uh, you know, keep asking for it. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, I'll read it again. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. So speaking of the positional work of the Spirit of God and also the experiential work, drinking into the Spirit of God. Now the book of Acts states here that spirit baptism happened. How do we know that? Because in Acts 1.5, Jesus said, Not many days from now you'll be baptized by the Spirit. Acts 11.15 Peter says, hey, look at what happened to these Gentiles. Is the same that happened to us at the beginning. So he, those two verses kind of box in when the spirit baptism began. It had to happen here in Acts chapter 2. And it, it was a unique time. It was a unique thing. And that's what the, the tongues of fire and the great rushing sound like a wind were about. When God does a new work on the earth, he has to start at some time and usually does so in very miraculous or unique ways. Um, You know, if nothing else, the work of the Spirit here was unusual because that's when it first began in the church. It also was unusual because people had been believers in Jesus up until this point, but they hadn't been gathered into a church or baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ or anything of that nature. So it was a unique and new thing that was happening. Now the epistles, the letters in the New Testament explain a little bit more about what this means. We don't find much detail explanation in the book of Acts. Acts is narrative. It's not really given to explanation as to the theological underpinnings of what's going on. But we, all, we know all Christians are brought into the body of Christ. We just read that. All have been baptized into Christ's body. And then also Galatians 3.27 says it uh, another related thing, Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This baptism puts somebody not only into Christ or into the body of Christ, but also into Christ himself. It It gives us an integral connection with him. And then... Because we're part of Christ and we're part of his body, we're part of the church <laughs> because his church is the body of Christ. Ephesians 1, and 23, people are baptized into the, by the Spirit into the body. He's the head of the body. And this first happened at Pentecost, that first Pentecost there in Acts chapter 2. So as we get kind of down to the end of our message here, I want to have you apply this. Last time we applied by asking, do our tongues speak the wonderful works of God? And uh, we're asking ourselves tonight, are we influenced by the Spirit of God? Even our speech being influenced by God's Spirit. But uh, thirdly, thank God for placing you into the body of Christ and into Christ. You don't need to ask for it. This is your standing by new birth, and it brings you into a real substantial connection with the family of God, with all those who are in the Lord, in the history in, in the present and in the future. Can you imagine that? You have a family which spans generations, spans continents, spans races, spans 
gender, slaves, free, you know, rich and poor, Greek and Jew and all the rest, to real communion or community or fellowship of people who are believers in Christ. And so you don't ask God to be baptized because you're already, if you're a Christian, but you do thank him for doing that and connecting you with his body and with his son. The church age then can be accurately described as it begins here as the age of the Holy Spirit. Not that he was absent before, but his ministries are magnified starting in the book of Acts in chapter 2. And you see him all throughout Acts, all throughout the New Testament. He's been kind of in the background, um, but now coming to the forefront. But even still, I think, we don't recognize the extent of the Spirit's work in our lives. It's kind of so ubiquitous for us as believers, especially if you've been a believer for any length of time, that we don't notice his work. But if you would contrast how you are now with how you were before you were saved or how you are now versus how a prototypical person is in this age who is not saved, not to sit here and compare ourselves with others, but you know, I think what I'm trying to get at, like you see their, their mindset, the way they think is so messed up. The morals that they receive as okay or the non-morals, or the relativism, you know, that it's okay to abort a child or whatever, and you say, how is it? That is the ministry of the Spirit of God that has illuminated and changed your thinking so drastically. People don't have that if they're not in Christ, and thus they think very strange thoughts. (laughs) So I'm saying that to say, if you look at that contrast, kind of see the before and after, that chasm is bridged in great measure by the work of God's Spirit in our lives. Obviously, the work of the Father and the Son are involved as well, but the presence of the Spirit is what does that in us. And so when you get to wondering, is the Spirit of God really at work? Well, just look there and then ask, how can his work be magnified? How can I fall under his influence even more than I have before? Knowing his word and showing that desire for the things of God and so on that we talked about earlier. So I hope that is a good challenge for you tonight. Come to the end of our time, and uh, we're about to close. So join with me in prayer. Father, by your Spirit, we come before you in the name of Christ, by the access provided by our Savior, but with the mind shaped and fashioned by your divine Spirit. And we thank you for working in us through him and having him resident in us in a ministerial kind of way, shaping and changing us and molding us and convicting and guiding and teaching and initially baptizing and indwelling. May our lives be reflections of his being, of his character as it works through us. May we speak, submit, give thanks, sing, May we give the wonderful works of God as as we talk. And Lord, may we be filled and thank you for the baptizing work of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.